Verse 33 is we're going to pick up, Acts chapter 20. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my needs and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Father, I, God, I want us to be a church just like that. God, I want us to be a church that we give to one another and we care about one another and we care about others on that level. God, I pray that you would enable us to believe that promise. It's better to give than to receive. God, so many times we struggle believing that for real. That it's not better for us just to to keep our own time and to keep our our schedule clear and to keep our money for ourselves. Uh, Father, we're taught by the world that that's what it means to be happy. But Lord, I pray that you give us faith to believe something different today. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. If you remember, he, uh, he feels compelled by the Holy Spirit to get to Jerusalem. He knows the Spirit is leading him there. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him when he gets there. He knows that probably prison, maybe death. One thing that he's convinced of and sure of, though, is that he'll never see these guys again. These Ephesian elders that have come down to Miletus, uh, the port city, uh, for them to have one last meeting together. He knows he's never going to see their face again. And so, this is his, his final farewell, his speech, his sermon to them that we've been looking at the last three Sundays. And this is the final, kind of the final cut of that speech. Now, if you'll notice, there's lots of stuff about money in this, this passage, kind of a theme there. He talks about not coveting uh, anybody's anything. Uh, he talks about working hard with his hands so that he's got something to give to the weak. And then he talks about Jesus' promise that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so as I was thinking about this week, I thought, well, you know, I think I'll probably just do some kind of message that just revolves around the topic of money. Uh, about a month ago in Man Up, we did a man and his money, you know, and we just spent the whole night talking about the trappings of money, the dangers of money, coveting. We talked about debt and savings, what money does in marriage, you know, just kind of one of those sermons all about money. And that's kind of what I had intended. But then I tell you, just honestly, I could not, and we're still going to talk about money, by the way, but, but I I couldn't get past this picture in verses 36 and 37 of, of him kneeling down with these guys, these guys he spent three years with and, and them praying together and them weeping. Have you ever seen a, a group of men weep, you know, them weeping and falling on his neck and embracing him and kissing him and, and then following him to the ship and this, this tearful, goodbye. I mean, I just, I just couldn't get my, 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 my head off of that picture because it is so strange for us, isn't it? I mean, that we just don't see that very often. You know, this group of guys spend three years together that care about one another so deeply. It's kind of a strange thing to us. In fact, I think, I think sometimes we may, may have missed the mark here in what Jesus intended for the church. 
You know, we read in the church that Jesus told us that when we love one another as he loved us, that all men will know that we're his disciples. In other words, as we love one another as he loved us, people are going to know that Jesus is inside of us. And we hear all kinds of, of verses in the Bible that talk about bear one another's burdens, you know, and can encourage one another and build one another up and, and care for one another and love one another and forgive one another. And a lot of times I think we set the bar really low for that, you know. I think a lot of times we, we kind of say, yep. I've done that. You know, I love my neighbor. You know, I wave at him every morning when we're driving off. And that one day he cut me off. I didn't cuss him. So evidently I must love him, you know, and we go ahead and put our little mark up there. Love neighbor. Got that one down, you know, and, and when we say, well, you know, I love my church family. Well, during the greeting time, don't you see me, man? I shook 12 hands, you know, I mean, I shook 12 hands and I smiled and I greeted. It was exhausting. I had to sit down and take a nap during the sermon afterward. But, you know, but I did it. I got up. And so, you know, that's what it means to love my church family, isn't it? I mean, you know, I mean, the bar is so low sometimes that you can't hardly even trip over it. You know, that we set for what does it mean for us to love our neighbor, for us to love our brother. Okay. well, when I read a passage like this, I start getting ashamed. Okay. when I read a passage like this and see that Paul spent three years with these guys in Ephesus and when when he's leaving them, this is what it looks like, okay? It's not, oh, hey, you're leaving? Hey, see ya, you know, have a good one, you know? Man, it's not that. These guys have Christ-centered relationships going on to the max, don't they? And what I want you to see is, I think that was intentional on Paul's part. I think he did some things in his life that lended himself to being really impactful in the lives of other people. And I want us to look at those today, okay? I want us to look at how Paul invested in other people. As we're thinking about that, I want you to think about yourself for a second. Do you invest in other people? Do you? What do you think? You don't have to answer out loud, but I want, you to, I want you to really give that some thought. Do you invest in other people? Are you the kind of person that you're, you're, you're a person who makes deposits in the lives of other people? I'm not just talking about your kids. I'm not just talking about your spouse. Uh, that's kind of expected, all right? I think we, we all probably expect that we should be doing that. If you're not doing that, then you really need to hear what we have to say here. But, I, but I'm talking about, I want to go a little step further. Are you the type of person that invests in, 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 in the church, in other people, in, in friendships, in Christ in a relationship? in your small group, in your Sunday school class, in your, your ministry group, in your team kick or whatever it is? Are you the type of person that makes regular deposits in other people's lives? Because that's the kind of person that Paul was. You know, this, this thing, this relationship he had with these guys, that didn't happen accidentally. That happened through three years of Paul being the kind of person who deeply invested his life in other people. And, you know, we were talking at camp this week. Uh, we talked about service. Our theme was on thir- service. And there were several times that I, that, I, that I talked to the kids about how God is a giver. You see what Jesus said about himself? He said, I didn't come to be served, but I come to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Okay? Think about that. The God of the universe comes, comes and, 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 and steps into humanity and steps into our world. And he spends his life giving to other people, investing in other people, teaching, encouraging, helping, healing, building up other people. And then he ends his life by dying on a cross to pay the penalty for the sins of mankind. Jesus spends his entire life being a giver. You know, what I wanted to to, to drive home to the kids, what I want to drive home to you, God is a giver. 
Please, don't even, don't even think that he's a taker. You know, sometimes people act like that. They act like, you know, man, I don't want to go to that church because they're going to take something from me. You know, it's almost like they're going to walk, you're going to walk in and God's going to snatch your wallet right out. You know, money's going to fly out of it. Or you're going to walk in and, and before you know it, you walked out and now you're committed to seven nights a, a week ministering. You know, you, you walked in, you walked out, now you're driving a team kid bus. You know, it's, a, it's almost like they think God's around the corner trying to snatch something from you. Can I give you some, some just some truth from the scriptures? God doesn't need anything you have. Okay, I want you to see that he doesn't need anything you have. You don't got to guard your wallet. You don't got to guard your time. Not from God anyway. You know why? He doesn't need it. He is completely self-sufficient in himself. Okay, God, God, God needs nothing we have. Now, now I'm not, and I'm not going to say that God's not going to ask us to be givers because we are going to be givers. But I want you to think that God needs something from us. God is the giver in your life. The breath that you just sucked into your lungs, God gave it to you. The gravity that holds your body to the seat, God is sustaining that right now. Everything that you have or ever will have, you have because God allowed you to have it. Okay, God is the giver in our lives. So we need to get that straight. Now, here's the question. Do we want to be like God? Do we want to be like God? Do we want to be givers or do we want to be takers? I want to be a giver. Paul was a giver. Paul was the kind of guy who invested deeply in the lives of other people. Now, what did that look like? Well, let's go through our passage here and let's, let's pull some truths out, all right? First of all, it looked like this. Verse 33, Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. I coveted no one's silver, gold, or apparel. Now, why did Paul start out talking about that he wasn't He wasn't given to covetousness. Well, he did so because you know what there's a tendency to do in a lot of relationships? There's a tendency to wonder, do you really want to give to my life or are you just doing this to get something? You know, that's true about relationships, isn't it? You know, especially if you're in business or sales, you always kind of wonder, does the salesman really like me or does he just want to sell me the product, right? You know, does he really want to take me to golf or is he just trying to get an account? You know what I mean? I mean, there's, that's just kind of the way our world works, you know? I mean, I kind of wonder that about my own kids, you know? Does, does Haven really like me or is she just trying to get something from me, you know? I mean, because I've seen her work other people that way before. I've seen her, you know, she'll work Fred that way, you know? I don't know if she likes Fred or not, but she knows he's got candy, you know, I mean, she, she convinced of that. So, uh, if she's hungry for candy, she knows how, I mean, that, that's kind of the way the world works. And so, you know, what Paul wants to tell these guys is, look, I want you to know that I spent three years investing in your life. I spent three years encouraging you and building you up in the word of God and counseling you and helping you and, and, and helping you manage your life. And I want you to know that I didn't do that because I wanted something from you. I didn't, I, I didn't cover what you had. I wasn't looking at you and saying, you know what? That guy's probably got money. I ought to be nice to him so that I'll get something back. Or, you know what? That guy's got a store. Or that guy sells cars. Or that guy does this or that. And so, you know, I might get something from them. They might be able to get me a good job. Paul says, I didn't covet anything anybody had. You know, can we, let's take a moment and just talk about coveting. Because I, I think it's, a, it's an important thing, not only in, in relationships, but man, just in your own walk with the Lord. What, what is coveting? Well, Colossians 3, 5 maybe is the most punching verse about coveting because it likens it to idolatry. Paul says that covetousness is, is, is a form of idolatry. Let me give you some definitions. 
Uh, Warren Wiersbe said, Covetousness is a consuming or controlling desire for what others have or for more of what they have. John Piper said this, Covetousness is desiring something so much that you lose your contentment with God. It's kind of like a teeter-totter, okay? On a teeter-totter, you know, one side is up, one side's always down. It's got to be that. You never have this. If you have this, your teeter-totter's broke, all right? Or if you have this, that means that uh, two people that shouldn't have been on the teeter-totter were on the teeter-totter, all right? So a working teeter-totter, you got one side's up, one side is down. Okay. So if, if you're, if you're, if your desire for God is up, your desire for other things is going to be what? Down. If your desire for other things is really high, your desire for God is going to be down. It, 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 that, that's just the way it is. It, it, it works that way. And, and one of the things we got to realize with covetousness and the, and the, what the Bible tells us about it is you have to learn to keep an eye on your desires. You know, a lot of people, they just, they just keep an eye on their actions. You know, their whole Christian life is built on, have I crossed the line in my actions? You know what? That's, that's too late. You do that, you're going to live a life of failing. You're going to live a life of sin because you're not going to catch yourself because you're going to, your, 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 your battle line is at the, at the, at the line of your actions. Your battle line needs to be the line of your desires. You need to take a look at what am I desiring? What do I want? What do I crave? What do I think about all the time? What, 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 what am I deeply desiring to happen and to have in my life? You need to look at that. Psalm 119, 36, the psalmist knew this. Here's what he says. He praises the Lord. He says, Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Yeah, he's not talking about his actions. He's talking about his heart. He's talking about, God, what do I desire? God, God, change my desires so that I desire the right things. Now, let's talk about what, what exactly is the line where covetousness starts. When, when, when is it sin? Obviously, we have desires for all kinds of things, and those are not all bad. But when does it become sinful? Well, here's a couple clear rules. Number one, coveting anything that, that God has told you you should not have is sin. Okay? Whenever you have desires for something that God has said no to, that's sin. Okay? If, you, if, you, if you have desires for somebody else's spouse, I'll tell you what, seven days a week, 365 days a year, that's going to be sin. Okay? It is never right. It's never okay. It's always sin. Why? Because God has said you shouldn't have that. And so for you to stir up and fan to flame the desires in your heart for something that's sin, that is covetousness. Okay? That's sin. So there's a, there's a clear line there. Now, another clear line would be anytime that your desires for something cause you to be embittered against someone, that becomes sin. We see this happen all the time uh, when, when someone dies and there's an estate, right? And, and everybody wants the stuff, right? And, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily bad, you know? I mean, there may be things that, of a parent or an uncle or whatever that were special to them. Or maybe there's, there's something there that maybe could really help them out. But, but, but listen... When, when that desire for that thing, when that desire for that thing causes you to be bitter against somebody else, causes you to break a relationship, you know what? It's sin. It's sin. If that's going on in your heart, that's sin. I don't care who said what or who did what, that's sin. And so anytime your desire for something, but it could even be for somebody's life. Uh, not, not in the sense, I'm sorry that, that you're going to take their life, but in the sense of, uh, that's wrong too, though. In the sense of you want their life. You know, there's times where you look around and you say, boy, I can't believe that they've got that going for them and everything they do goes right and they've got all this money or they have this big family. And there's times where people say, you know what? I want that. And I'm a little ticked at that person because they have it. Hey, you've crossed the line. You're in sin. You're coveting. Okay? So, so wanting something that is wrong or sinful is coveting. Wanting something to the point that it, that it makes you jealous or bitter or angry against somebody, that's sinful. That's covetousness. And there are all kinds of other desires, though, that are not necessarily wrong, 
But you've got to begin to look at some other factors. Here's another factor. Does the intensity of your desire match the value of what you desire? There's times where our desire just gets way out of whack, okay? Uh, I've seen guys so consumed for a material possession, they couldn't hardly think of anything else, you know? Well, I mean, when, when the desire is that high for something with wheels on it, okay, we, we got a clue into, you know what? This is out of whack. It's not right. I, I, I'm on the border of coveting. I'm on the border of, of idolatry here to want something so bad that I can't think of anything else. You know, I spend all my time on the Internet researching this thing and wanting this thing and desiring this thing and having to have this thing. You know, another, you know what's another clue? When, when you can't have the thing, your world collapses. You know, if that's true, if you have a desire for something and, and when you can't get it or when you think about not being able to have it, you, you, man, you go into despair. You know what? That's a clue. You're, you're beginning to worship something you shouldn't worship. Okay. So there's lots of, of, of things that we could, we could point to that say, look, this is not a healthy thing. It's not a healthy desire in my life. And it, and it lends toward covetousness. There's lots of other desires in your life that you need to fan, okay? You know, there's some things you have too strong a desire for. It becomes idolatry. Other things you don't have a big enough desire for. I'd say most of us could use more desire for prayer. We could use, I need to have more of a desire for righteousness. I need to have more of a desire for Christ in a relationship. I need to have more of a desire to do something great for God in this world in this short little time that I have on it. I need to have a great desire to serve others, a great desire to build a strong relationship with my wife and to serve her and love her as Christ loved the church. There's all kinds of other desires that we need to fan into flame. But we need to be really careful that our desires are where they ought to be. You know one of the telltale signs of covetousness? It's when your thankfulness gauge is low, okay? Did you know you have some spiritual gauges in your, you know, some of you, you don't ever look at them in your car, do you? So you, you probably don't look at them in your spiritual life either, okay? But you've got some gauges in, in your spiritual life. You know, you have a prayer gauge. How's your prayer life, you know? Where's that gauge at? How often are you calling out to the Lord? How often are you dependent upon it? You've got a Bible gauge, you know? Are you, are you getting truth? Not just are you reading, but are you really getting, pulling truths from the Bible? You've, get, you've got probably a spiritual friendship gauge, maybe a worship gauge, but the one you really want to keep your eye on is that thankfulness gauge, that, that gratitude gauge, okay? When that thing is low, okay, when you get up in the morning and, you, and you're, you're, you're discontent with your family and you're discontent with your church and you're discontent with your job and you're discontent with your checkbook and you're discontent with everything, you know what? You're on the verge of coveting, okay? Things have gone wrong in your spiritual life. You probably have desires that you shouldn't have. When you get up in the morning and you say, man, God, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And God, I'm so thankful that you've given me what you've given me. And Lord, I trust you that, that I have what I need to have for this moment in my life. And Lord, you are so good. And I just thank you for the, the, the 110 degree weather out there, God. It's, you know, I'm not in hell, God. So thank you, Jesus. You know, thank you that I'm not there. And thank you for an air-conditioned But I mean, when your heart is welling up in thanksgiving, you know what? You're probably, not, you're probably not living in covetousness. So keep an eye on that gauge. Keep an eye on that gauge. Keep an eye on, on your desires. Are they causing you to doubt God or be angry with God or angry with others? Keep an eye on your covetousness gauge. So what, 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 is, what does God say here? Or what does Paul say here? Well, he says, first of all, I want you to know, I gave what I gave to you. I invested in your life not to get anything from you. Okay? That's point number one. He gave somebody to give. Point number two, and this is kind of the same point, said a little bit differently. Paul said he's willing to be in a one-sided relationship. You know what a one-sided relationship is? Do any of you know what that is? Do you have some of those in your life? That's one of those relationships where you're pouring in, but nothing's coming back. Okay? Do you have some of those? 
And you know, those aren't the greatest. They're, they're really not really healthy. Uh, they're not what we would want. But, but I think what Paul says here is, you know what, there's a time and a place where we need to be willing to have one-sided relationships. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, Paul tells us that he is a, he is a champion of, of, of churches taking care of, of their ministers, of their pastors. In verse 14, he says in 1 Corinthians 9, "...in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel." First uh, Timothy 5.18 says the same thing. Second Thessalonians uh, 5, I believe, or no, 3, I think it is, says the same thing. So there, there's a bunch of places in the Bible where Paul said, Look, you need to take care of your pastors. You need to take care of them financially. Here's the interesting thing. Paul didn't exercise that right. Okay, so he, he tells other churches to do that. But when he comes to Ephesus, he doesn't get anything from them. He doesn't take anything from them. He is willing to be in a relationship where he just simply invests in others and nothing's coming back to him. You know why? Because Paul was a giver. If you had Paul as a friend, you know what Paul was going to do? He was going to invest in your life. He was going to meet your needs. He was going to encourage you. He was going to pray for you. He was going to build you up. He, he was going to help you. He was going to serve you. And he wasn't going to expect anything in return. That's the kind of guy Paul was. Thirdly, thirdly, Paul worked hard to have something to give. Paul was a hard worker. And he demanded that other Christians be hard workers. Look at verse 35. Verse 35 says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, all throughout this Bible, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see that Christians are to be people who work hard. Let, let, me, let me read you a passage out of 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says, We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because you were not idle when you were with us, nor did you eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden on any of you. It was not because we did not have the right to, but, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. Man, Paul's pretty severe on that, isn't he? Hey, people, he says, man, Christians, you, you ought to work for the Lord. You know, now, now, now if you have another way to support yourself, you have another way to, 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 to gain an income, maybe you have a retirement plan, maybe you have a disability thing or whatever. Awesome, great. You ought to be working for the Lord, though. You know, you, you ought to be hard working for the Lord. There's never a place in the Christian life to do nothing. But, but you ought to give yourself wholeheartedly to, to either God's work or to being industrious in, in your business. Now, should, should you be the kind of person who wants to climb the ladder in your business to make more and more money? Actually, I think you should. I don't think anything's wrong with that. And I think there's a place to be content you know, and to kind of know where, where you love and what you love. But you know what, Christians, there's a lot of times where, where we think that we ought not work hard and, and make a good living. I don't believe that at all. I think you ought to work hard. You ought to think hard. You ought to pray hard. You ought to plan hard. You ought to invest hard. And you, you ought to try to make a good living. Now, here's the rub. Why? Is it so that instead of riding a scooter, I can move up to a motorcycle? And maybe someday move up to a car, you know, and maybe someday move up to one of them great big pickups. So you got to have a stepladder to get into, you know, is that why I should work hard and want to make a good living? You see, here's the rub. You should work hard to make a good living, but, but not necessarily for upward, for nicer stuff. What does Paul say? 
Let's read it again. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. You know, Paul addresses some guys that that were thieves in Ephesians 4. And in verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands. All right, that makes sense, right? Thief, don't steal anymore. Instead of stealing, you ought to get a job, and you ought to work hard, and you ought to make a living. Why? Look what he says. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What? What's the motive for Paul saying, hey, work hard? What's the motive for him, him being in these relationships? Again, it's so that he might have something to give. Do you see how important this is to Paul? I mean, he, he really wants these folks to know, look, I, I gave to you not because I want anything back. You know, I was willing to be in a one-sided relationship where I'm just pouring into your life and investing in your life and giving to you. I worked really hard on the side so that I would have something to be able to give to you. You see, what's Paul? He is a giver, a giver, a giver. I mean, what? again, go back to the initial, initial picture in our minds of these guys weeping over the Apostle Paul. Why? Because Paul lived a life of giving to others. Now, why would Paul do that? Paul would do that, and this is our last point this morning, because he believed Jesus. And what did Jesus say? If you've got a Bible with the red letters that are in, or Jesus' words are in red, it's going to be real easy to see here in your Bible. It says, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, that's why, that's, why, that's why Paul lived like he did. That's why he was willing to work another job so he'd have something to give to somebody. That's why he was willing to be in one side of relationships. That's why he didn't want stuff from people. He didn't covet what people had. You know why? Because he believed Jesus when Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, make sure you don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that it's not a blessed thing to receive. You know, whenever I see that word blessed, I, I, my ears perk up. Don't yours? I mean, I like that. You know, Jesus told us a lot about what it means to be blessed. Remember the whole Beatitudes, that series we did last, last year? It's all about what does it mean to live a blessed life? You know, blessed is this kind of person. You know what he's saying? He's saying happy, fulfilled, satisfied is this type of person, okay? And, and, and I don't know, but my hand goes up. Give me some of that, right? When I hear that, I mean, I want to be blessed. And, and what Jesus is saying here is that he's not saying that to receive is, is not a blessed thing. No, that, that's, that's a blessing. Uh, our van went out on our air conditioner in, our, uh, in, in the van about two weeks ago. And we're, we're trying to get it fixed in the city right now. Friday night goes out in our house, okay? Now, that's bad news, all right? Here's what happened, though. Our neighbor, he, he was baptized a couple years ago, Kurt, uh, across the street. I went over and said, man, Kurt. Can you help me? He said, sure, pastor. He comes over and we work on it. When I say we, I stood there and prayed and he worked. <laughs> but I, I held things for him. Like I'd, held, I'd hold the screws and, you know, I put some in, you know, some things like that. But I mean, I really didn't, I didn't know anything about it. But, but he got it working, you know. And we, got, we was able to get the air conditioner guy the next day and he, he finished it off. And, hey, I, I won't lie to you. That's a blessing, all right. We were blessed. And, and having an air conditioner, and that, that's a blessed thing. So I'm not saying it's never a blessing to receive. It is. But notice what Jesus said here. He says, it is more blessed. Did you hear that? More blessed to give than to receive. Now, now, now what's he saying there? Well, he's saying that there are richer dividends for your soul when you give. Man, Bonnie, and, and I don't know that she knew what I was preaching. I guess if she looked ahead. The testimony she just gave just 
verifies what I just said, doesn't it? I mean, what did she just say? She said, man, what we were able to be a part of this week was soul enriching. Wasn't, didn't she say that? I mean, I don't know if she used those words. But that's what she was saying. It's soul enriching. I mean, there's something about being a giver in people's lives that does something on the, outs- in the inside of you. Now, whenever you receive from people, you know, like, like Kurt the other day, hey, that made us cool for, for the evening. That was, that was good, all right? That, that, that was a good thing. But you know what? Being a giver does something inside of you, not just outside of you, but something inside of you that is deeply satisfying. We're going to look about this in just a minute, but... You know what the Bible would say? The Bible would say that Jesus takes care of the giver. There's two ways you can live your life, okay? Here's the one way. You can say, you know what, pastor? Man, I, I need time to myself, you know? And, and, and I need money for me. And, and I, I need energy for me. And so what I'm going to do is every little bit that I get, I'm, I'm going to guard it, you know? And when it, whenever people start to reach for it, I'm going to slap their hands, you know? I say, no, nah, you're not getting into mine. No, 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 no. This is for me, Okay? The other way to live is to be a person who gives it away. Who gives it away, trusting Jesus to give unto them. I'll show you a verse for that in just a second. Another reason why it's more blessed to give than to receive is that the the long-term dividends are so much greater for the giver. Look at what Matthew 6 says. Matthew 6, 19 says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moths nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And finally, I think the reason that it's more blessed to give than to receive is because of the relational benefits that come from being a giver. Have you ever noticed that when you're a giver in somebody's life, that, that you build a friendship? You build, a, you build an investment in their life. It's a really cool thing. That's why parents are so close to their kids. Uh, Hannah left for college about uh, 30 minutes ago. Actually, she left for Boston. She goes to Boston with, uh, with their, uh, uh, the leadership class, and then she'll come back for a few days, and then she'll start classes. She'll move down. But, you know, man, there's something deeply just unjarring, you know, when you send your kid away. Why? Because you spent, I spent 18 years investing in her. You know, there's, there's a relationship there. Okay, listen, some of you, some of you want friendships. I've heard people in this church say, man, pastor, I deeply want a friend. I just can't find one. There's a lot of factors in that. I don't want to make this too simple because there really is. You know, I mean, if you're just squirrely and do all kinds of squirrely stuff, that may be a factor. Okay, but listen, the, the big factor in friendships is this investing in people. It really is being a person who will invest in other people. That has incredible relational dividends. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up. Two things, all right? Jesus says it's more blessed to give than, than to receive. Okay, you will not believe that this morning unless you believe these two things. Okay? Number one, Jesus is your treasure. You see, you won't believe what Jesus says if something else is your treasure. If money is your treasure, let's just be honest. If money's your treasure, if you're a person in here and you get your security and your satisfaction and, and your hope and your confidence for the future from your money, you won't give it away. You won't. You'll give away little bits, but you'll, you'll never give away. You won't be the kind of person that when God taps you on the shoulder and says, man, that person's in need, go. You won't do it. You know why? Because nobody gives away their treasure. You just don't. If you're the kind of person and time is your treasure, 
You know, you're one of those people that you've marked off your life in these little compartments, and you better not mess with those compartments, you know. Saturdays are for golf or motorcycles or camping or fishing or whatever, you know. And Thursday nights are you got a TV show, and nobody better ring the doorbell or call during that TV. You know, if you're the kind of person that time is your treasure, I mean, you really highly value having your time and doing your thing, you know what? You're never going to minister. And if you do, it won't be a joy. You won't, you won't experience what Jesus is talking about here, okay? But you know what? If Jesus is your treasure, if Jesus is the thing that fills your life up, you, you're going to be able to give away the other stuff. And you're going to be able to give away Jesus. You know why? Because the more you give away of him, the more you get of him. Isn't that cool? Okay, so that's number one. You've you got to believe that Jesus is your treasure. Number two, you're not going to believe this, that, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive unless you're convinced that Jesus keeps his promises. Do you believe that? That Jesus keeps his promises? A lot of the way that you'll, that, you'll, that you'll show people that you believe that is by how much you're willing to invest in the lives of other people. Let me read you something from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Okay, Follow along here, alright? I'm done after this, by the way. So some of you just can't stand anymore. Please listen to this, alright? Because it's, it's really actually good. Okay? Uh, He talks about being a cheerful giver in verse 7. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. And then notice what he says in verse 8. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Did you see what he just said? He said to the cheerful giver, to the guy that sows bountifully, that was up in verse 6, the guy that gives in the lives of other people, he says, here's God's promise to you. God is able to make All sufficiency abound for you in your life. It goes further. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Did you hear that? He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The picture of a farmer. Farmer's got this bag of seed, okay? And he's taking some of that seed and he's sowing it in people's lives. He's sowing it in his field, but, you know, for our sake, it's people's lives, okay? And, and he gets down about half that seed's gone. And you know what he's tempted to do? He's tempted to say, I think I'll take the rest of this home. Make me some bread for the winter, okay? And that's, that's I mean, you can see why he would do that. You know, you know what God says? He says, to the guy who says, no, I'm going to keep sowing. I'm not going to save some, some for me. I'm, I'm going to keep sowing in people's lives. I'm going to sow that seed and sow that seed. You know what God's promise to that guy is? You'll always have seed to sow. Wasn't that what that just said? You'll always have something to give. You'll always have time to give. You'll always have talents to give. You'll always have resources to give if you're that kind of person. I believe that. I've seen that. I have seen that in people. I've seen that in people that, that the more... I, I know some guys that this is just... I mean, it's, it's true in their life and it's amazing. It's like the more they give... And the, and the more they, 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 they give themselves to the kingdom, man, the, the more God puts in their, in their gun. He loads them up again. God's faithful to do that. And God promises to do that. Are you a giver? Are you a taker? Or are you a hoarder? I guess there could be three, couldn't there? There's, there's people that are givers, Okay. And they spend their life investing in other people. There are people who are takers. They take from other people. And I think there is a third class. There's hoarders. There are people that say, well, I'm not taking from anybody, but I ain't giving away nothing that's mine either. Hey, be a giver.
Be like Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you for giving so generously to us. God, you're so good. I thank you, Father, for forgiving your life for us, for giving, giving us grace every day. And God, help us to be that kind of person. God, help us to generously invest in others. God, help us to invest our time. God, help us to invest our resources, to invest in friendships. God, help us to invest in others. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.